welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. Today, I have a really special guest, and we're going to be having a conversation about empaths and rescuing and how that's not always such a hot idea. Victoria Shaw is an intuitive counselor and spiritual coach who combines her background and training in psychology and counseling with intuitive guidance to help clients heal, grow, and realize their full spiritual and personal potential. She takes a holistic approach to counseling, addressing clients' concerns on the mind, body, spiritual levels. She especially loves working with people who are committed to using their life experiences or struggles to fuel their own spiritual awakening. Victoria is the author of four self-help books for parents, children, and teens, and the host of Intuitive Connection Podcast. Victoria, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really, really excited for this conversation. I am really, really excited for this conversation. And I just reading your bio, I'm like, you and I are so on the same page about so many things. <laughs> so, and I know that, you know, you and I were talking before we jumped on just about how incredibly, how the journey you've gone through around coming to understand how to truly be of service as opposed to the way maybe you thought you were. But before we go into all of that, I always love to start at the very beginning and talk about like, what was your experience like as a young person? When did you realize you were highly sensitive? What was that like for you? What were the challenges of being highly sensitive? So just kind of like a paint the picture, start at the very beginning. Tell me your story. So I grew up in a chaotic family, but a family where, I mean, I would at least say one of my parents was also highly sensitive. So there was some understanding around it. I don't, I don't really remember getting the messaging as much as so many of my clients and other people do about getting too sensitive, mm. but gosh, I was a feeler and I felt everything. And, um, I used to kind of think that emotions were these things that were like the weather, right? You'd be minding your own business. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, sadness would come or, you know, fear would come or, you know, worry would come and, you know, you, it wouldn't have anything to do with anything that was going on. You know, feelings were like the weather. And, and that's sort of how I understood my life. Um, and years and years and years later, when I, I learned this term empath, and I understood this idea that you can sometimes tap into not what's, you know, true necessarily of your own experience in your own space, but tap into what others around you are experiencing that I started to realize, oh, you know, those weren't my emotions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I was, I was tapping into somebody else's weather channel. Yes. Um, so, but I was always highly sensitive. I was always highly intuitive. I didn't know what it was called, but I always knew things that other people didn't know or that I had no way of knowing, or people would say like, that's so insightful for a seven-year-old, you know, and I didn't know <laughs> how I knew it. I just did. And uh, so that was my experience growing up. I was a spacey child, I think, again, because I'd had been in such a chaotic upbringing. I, I don't think I was always fully grounded in the 3D but I was super creative and hopefully super lovable. <laughs> like mm. I, I look back, I think I was pretty cute. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate to, to have attended a school. Um, I wish every child could attend a school like I did that, um, you know, really valued the individual child was very child centered. And I, so I really grew up in a very outside of my family and my school family, a very supportive environment where I really felt seen, heard and honored for who I was and valued for who I was. So you can't take that back. I'm so grateful for that. And I had amazing teachers too, throughout the way. So, well, yeah. I, you know, I just want to say that I, at this point in time, I've probably done at least 50 interviews. Like I, I would have to go back and count how many I've actually done, but at least 50, maybe more. And you're the very first person who has said that they were not told they were too sensitive. 
I don't know yeah. anybody who didn't get that. Like, it's just amazing how frequently that message is given to yeah. empaths. So what an incredible gift to yeah. both have to experience people who, who acknowledged the sense or, or who didn't dismiss the sensitivity or, or push it down or gaslight you about it. But then also to go to a school where you were allowed to flourish. Yeah. What amazing, I mean, I'm just so glad for you that you got those things, but obviously growing up in a chaotic environment and being a very, very sensitive child, I'm sure you still had a tough road to hoe. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't like to talk about people who are living because, you know, I may have a very different perspective of my childhood than they did. And I, I want to respect their perspectives. And, you know, so, so I, I always like to speak generally, not specifically out of love mm -hmm. and respect that, you know, I know that the people that raised me and all the people in my life, you know, were doing the best that they could. Yeah. Um, but I did have, let's just say caregivers with a lot of strong feelings and probably some mental health challenges. And, um, you know, I think like many highly sensitive, empathic, intuitive kiddos, you know, the message that I got early on was I was supposed to feel what they were feeling. I was supposed to solve their problems for them. And that, you know, in order for me to stay safe, I had to figure out their, their, their business. And I think that's a lot of times where we get this weight of the world, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as the complex as empaths where we believe coming out of the gate that it's our job, you know, because we can feel it, we're supposed to heal it. And um, it's it's not, that's just not true. No, it's not true. And I just, what, what you just said about that, there's that expectation that we're supposed to feel what they're feeling. And I so hear you there. I can so identify with that in the sense that I I, I mean, it took me, I wasn't even, I was like in my forties when I really started to be able to untangle what was, what were my feelings as a child and what were my mother's because her, her feelings were so large and, and in my family emotions were kind of like a, um, you know, like stop the train. I'm having a feeling <laughs> like <laughs> emotions trumped everything in my, in my world and in my family. So what you're saying, I so totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have conditioning too. And I don't think it was just specific to my family situation, though it was pronounced in my family situation. It sounds like yours too, but I think it's out there everywhere. But sometimes, you know, those pain stories, those painful feelings, like there's, there's a feeling like if I'm really happy, you should be happy too. If I'm really sad, you know, it's disrespectful of you to feel good. And, and that's really, really, really detrimental conditioning because we get to feel what we want to feel. And you can have empathy for someone else's experience without sharing in that experience with them. And again, if they're happy and you, and that's contagious, I love that you go for it. If you're having trouble feeling happy when someone else is happy, cause you got your own stuff going on, that's fine too. And, you know, I think the biggest message, and I see you nodding like crazy. So I am nodding like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the biggest message is, you know, my love for you, my acknowledgement of, of what you're going through, all of that good stuff is not contingent on my matching your energy and feeling it with you. I can oh. have compassion without going down the rabbit hole. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and I think, you know, I know that one of the things that I had to really work on breaking was a family agreement that you're not allowed to be happy when other people are suffering and other people are struggling, that it is a betrayal of right. the family system to be joyful or to be succeeding when there are people who are suffering and struggling. And so I love how you're speaking to this because I just, I just wonder, I mean, like how many of us adopted or or got this message at such an incredibly early age of learning nope you're not allowed to calibrate to happiness <laughs> unless yeah. everybody's happy yeah. yeah and you know then also you're not allowed to calibrate to your happiness right right because right. you lose your inner compass of what makes me feel good what's my joy what's and joy is your birthright so you should you get to calibrate to happiness whenever the heck you want please do is actually the greatest gift that you can give to the world is to and I love that term is to calibrate to happiness and joy because that is actually what the planet needs but unfortunately 
up until now, a lot of times when we are, when we, you know, are, are trying to calibrate to happiness, we have a lot of people rubbing their hands in our faces going, oh, look at this pain and suffering. Oh, look at this problem. Oh, and so we have to, we have to give ourselves permission to let them wave their hands in our face. And then we just turn around, you know, and, 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 and tune in and plug back into the joy. Cause mm. honest to God, anyone who's listening, please just know that is what you're here to do. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and we are not, I mean, you know, just fundamental law of attraction, where we focus our attention is what we amplify. And focusing on the misery and double down, doubling down on the misery and doom scrolling is not the way that we're going to turn things around. That accessing our joy, accessing our pleasure, accessing our delight, focusing on love instead of fear, that's where it's at. Couldn't Amen. agree more. Yeah. Amen. And again, that doesn't mean that you tell somebody else that's having a rough day, you know, just be happy. <laughs> that's not what we're saying here. No, no, no. Right? Or yeah, you, that would or be you, spiritual bypassing. <laughs> right. Or you disallow yeah. whatever feelings are naturally coming up within yourself right. because, you know, when we just love them, we hug them, we allow them. And then when we're ready, we shift our attention to something that feels better. And we do that as many times as we need to do until we are more naturally you know, I love the term calibrating with joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does, it's, I just think it's so important to know. And so many empaths have trouble. I mean, some of us have been trained to be empaths, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And some of us are just more organically wired that way. And it's probably a little of both for most of us. But, you know, when you can feel what other people are feeling like it's happening to you, it makes it extra especially difficult sometimes to understand, no, I get to step out of that. I don't have to feel that it was good for one, one, but it's not my duty. It's not my responsibility. I want to, I want to feel my feels and I want to feel good. Yes. Well, and you said something, I want to just dial back um, a little bit too, to the idea of it's not, it doesn't just necessarily go to, you're never allowed to be happy because the other side of it is that expectation of if everybody else is happy or everybody else is pretending everything is good, you're not allowed to admit or to acknowledge the difficult stuff either. Right. So it's sort of like, a lot of it, it's not just, it's not necessarily feeling positive or negative as much as it's feeling authentic in yes. our own truth of what's going on with us, as opposed to being expected to be kind of like the weatherman in the family system, who's just like standing in front of the weather chart, you know, responding to whatever the weather is. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's huge. And that authenticity piece is huge. And being yeah able to feel what you feel, being able and allowing yourself to have your own perspective, even if your perspective is, is, you know, flawed because, you know, they often are, you have to hear it first. You have to feel it first. You have to allow it first. You have to own it first. And then if it wants to shift, it will shift away. But so many of us have been taught, oh, what we feel, think, you know, that's, that's secondary. We got to please everyone else first. We have to and, um, and, and you're right too, because I think a lot of empaths, especially as kids have had and, and intuitives too. And, and I think, you know, they're pretty much the same thing have had that experience early on when, you know, people are smiling and nodding and saying, everything's fine. And you better say everything's fine. And you're like, but it's not, I know but it's, it's not. not, I know it does mom not that you're upset. I yeah. know there's something weird with uncle George. Why are you telling me he's okay? Like, yeah. didn't you not feel that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be really confusing for kids as well, because we, you know, we do feel into these things that maybe other people are not allowing in themselves or allowing, you know, out in the open. Yeah. Oh, so, so true. Well, and this is, I mean, we could go down an entire rabbit hole. That's not necessarily what this podcast is about, about like just being authentic with children and not trying to shelter them or protect them from difficult feelings because, I mean, yes. kids know what's going on. And I think the cognitive dissonance and the emotional dissonance that kids experience when they sense mommy is sad or daddy is angry, but, you know, through gritted teeth, they're like, I'm fine. It, it just, it's so lethal. And for an empath, I think it's especially challenging because you're feeling one thing and you're being told another thing. Right. And that dissonance right. is just so damaging and challenging. And many empaths have that natural gift of being in touch with their feelings that yeah. maybe some of the adults in their worlds do not have yet. They, ha they haven't learned to put words to their feelings. They, they haven't learned to feel the feels. And the empath, 
you know, will sometimes be the one that steps in unknowingly and is like, okay, I'll feel it for you. <laughs> right. Yes. yes. You can't feel it. So, well, I see it's right there. Let me grab onto it. Right. And that also becomes a pattern, you know, that we, we may carry into our adult lives that isn't serving us. So if that sounds like you, it's, it's, it's something you can change. It's not necessary. The other people will get to their feelings when they're ready for them. And it's mm-hmm. also important. My guidance says to point through is, you know, we sometimes feel the feelings about fear. Sorry, we do sometimes feel, but we also sometimes fear the feelings of others as empaths. Because, you know, if you grew up with someone who was, you know, maybe a little bit emotionally out of control or aggressive or abusive, that's one way. But even sometimes just because when you feel what other people feel, you don't want people around you to feel bad, right? So. You know, you're afraid of being overwhelmed by their feelings. And rather than working within you to have those boundaries and to learn emotional hygiene and learn how to care for yourself and learn, you know, how to tune in and help yourself to feel good, you are mistakenly trying to go into everyone else's space and clean it up so that it doesn't bleed into you, right? Preach, preach. Yeah. I, one of the things I often say is, you know, that empath, when empaths are not, don't have boundaries or don't know how to sit with their own feelings, it is, we feel better when other people feel better. And if somebody's feeling pain and we don't know how to have those inner boundaries or just let somebody be where they're at, it is absolutely natural that we're going to rush into rescue and we're going to try to make it feel better. But just, ah, Victoria, every word you are saying is just gold. I am so exactly on the same page with you about this. Yeah. Years ago when, and it started when I was working with clients, but it also came for me. (laughs) My guides would give me this image of gold and they would say other people's pain is their gold. It is their gold. And that you don't want to take someone's gold, right? And that makes a lot of sense. Like we don't want to steal gold from people. Gold is currency. Gold is valuable. Gold is a good thing. And of course, you know, if we're hoarding our gold for a while, it can weigh down our pockets. It can make life feel heavy, but we need it to grow. And so we don't want to knowingly contribute to someone's discomfort, you know, because we we want we want to no one really wants to do that. Well, some people want to do that, but no one listening to this podcast is wired that way. We mm-hmm. just don't. We we you know naturally most empaths have that that nature of that we do want to you know contribute to people's well being as much as possible. Um, but even sometimes when you do something that works for you and makes someone else a little annoyed, you know, and I say that when you're following your highest guidance and when you're really tuned into what's right for you, you actually can't harm anybody else. It's impossible. They may not like it because they may it may not, not like play it. well with their ego. But if you are really dialed in and doing what is right for you in the highest sense, it is impossible for you to harm anybody else. That's not harm, right? It's where we're disconnected that we sometimes act in ways that are harmful. And by the way, that rescuing or the stealing of other people's gold and the names of saving them from what their soul has invited in for their learning and growth is harmful. It you is know? harmful. It's harmful. And I yes. love you if you've been doing it. And I love the times in me when I was confused and I was doing it because, you know, it's better than punching them in the face, but it's still a form. It's still harmful and there's a better way to go about it. And it's also a more joyous way for you and for me. And, and you know, and we deserve that. I've always, I've had for years, I always think of that, you know, the old reggae song, the harder they come, the harder they fall. And, you know, but I always think of like the thing about that enabling, rushing into rescue, codependency, whatever you want to call it, is that so frequently what we ultimately do is we prevent somebody from hitting a bottom as fast as they could. And we, and if we start thinking about it as it's actually causes more harm to somebody to intercede and prevent them from learning their lesson because they have to double down to get that lesson. We actually like, they're going to have, they're going to fall from a much higher place because of our intercession. And so the image that has come to my mind many, many times is this image of like, do you want them to fall where they are right now? Or do you want to stop them so that they can get even further up and fall from a much higher place and experience a far greater level of devastation? So, yeah. Yeah. And the question too is, do you want to be the person that they fall on? You know, very good question. You both get squashed 
or do yes. you want to get out of the way? And yeah, sometimes we want to be the one that stands be- between people and their consequences. Yeah. And, you know, you can do that if you want, but you're going to get squished. You're going to get elbowed. You're going to get ouched. And unfortunately we all, and this is true of you too, my friends for your own suffering, which there's nothing even wrong with suffering. I don't like it so much, but you know, I can't say I'm quite at the point where I welcome it, but I understand in the highest level that when it comes, it comes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I can't think of a time where I didn't have a struggle. Uh, that didn't benefit me in a really huge way. And, and in fact, I find that the more I acknowledge that, the less I struggle. And the more when I have a struggle, you know, it turns to gold, much uh, the good kind of gold, <laughs> you know, it turns to joy a lot faster, mm. a lot faster, but not mm-hmm. everyone's at that level. And some people are still at the level where they're going through life and they're, they're making problems for themselves to solve because that is just that's how they're conditioned. That's how they're programmed. And that's how their life is going for them. And that might even be true for some of you. And I'm sure it's true for you and I on occasion as well. Um, and it's really just a matter of degree. But the thing is, if someone has made a problem to solve, you know, like you don't want to get in that problem with them because you, you didn't make it. It's not no, yours. No. Well, and what if, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking, well, what if we also make problems to solve to empower ourselves to solve them? Yeah. And part of the message is I can get, you know, like I can get out of this skid. And, and when we jump in there, I love here. The other thing I've noticed is that not only do we get squished, like, do they fall on us? But the other thing is that we triangulate when we get involved into the, like the love triangle of like the person, their issue and us, instead of them being in direct relationship with their stuff, they are engaging with us. And often we get blamed and we get respond. It becomes a power struggle between between us and them, as opposed to the genuine life lesson that they have, they should be having between themselves and whatever it is is their problem. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think to an important thing to recognize, and and some of you may recognize this, some of the listeners may recognize this in themselves too, because you know we, if if you're real honest, you can see places in yourself where this is maybe occurring. I don't want to put that in people's space, but. Sometimes people are not ready to change. Sometimes people actually, there's a part of you and it can be, you know, very, very strong that actually is quite content at the level of discontent that you're experiencing. And those are the people as, as a professional counselor, as someone who, you know, does intuitive coaching for my living. Those are the people where, you know, it's really, and, and there's people in my life that way too, where I have to really say, I respect the integrity of their journey, but I can't solve it for you because, you know, you, you're not ready to solve it yet. And that's okay. I mean, I might that not say is, that to them, but yeah, I'd yeah. say it to me. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, and one of my things is like, I will also, I, when I find myself up in that place where I start thinking that my job is to somehow intercede or rescue I will also just remind myself, it's like this person has a higher power in their life and I am not it. And I do not know what is best for them. I don't know what their life trajectory is necessarily. I mean, I might have a glimpse, but it really is. It's not our job to fix it. So I want to go back a little bit to you hinted at something. You kind of alluded at something about your idea of what it was to help, to serve, to be of support in the early stages of this. And so, I mean, I guess I'm curious, like, how did, like, did you end up like going to college and getting a degree in psychology? Like what did it look like at first? You know, I was pretty unconscious when I was young. I think in some ways I was really conscious and then other ways (laughs) I was just not there at all. You know, when it was on, it was on in these little pockets, but for the most part, I was just trudging through life, like being very myopic, although Mm -hmm. um, my eyes didn't go bad until grad school. But anyway, um, like literally, but, but back to your question, I want to feel into it. I think for me, I just always understood that I was supposed to match the feelings of others. I think I was deeply hurting through most of my young adult life. I think I was looking to be rescued. I think that I was looking, you know, for my friends, for the people, my life to save me, you know? So I think it was both, both sides going in both directions. I think that for me, when I married and met my my husband, that was a big stabilizer for me. That was a big stabilizer because I hadn't really had, I had such a chaotic family and that was like that first stabilizer. And that to me was like the first step out of the well. 
yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I look back and, you know, we've had a long relationship um, that's coming to an end, but I look back at that and I'm like, oh God, thank God at that moment, you know, that he came into my life because that was a big stabilizer. But, um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I lost your question. <laughs> So, and I actually want to pull something out from what you said, and I'll circle back to the question. Um, But you said something, you know, I've been reading a lot about attachment theory and about, you know, nervous system regulation that happens in utero and then in infancy and up to toddler years and how utterly dependent we are on our mother or our caretaker to help us to co-regulate our nervous system because we cannot co-regulate. We cannot regulate. We must co-regulate as littles. And what I realized recently, I've been sort of realizing like how much if you are born in a chaotic family system and if you have a mother who does not have a regulated nervous system, I had a very anxious, very high strung, you know, mother who was her nervous system was not regulated. My nervous system never got to regulate. So by the time, and when, so when I became personally, when I got a little bit older and I started to be kind of getting into intimate relationships, I was looking to lovers who could co-regulate my nervous system. So as you're speaking, I'm like, oh, he was probably the very first person where your nervous system felt safe and actually got to land and where you got to co-regulate. Absolutely. So I'm like, of course you of did Of course. That. And a lot yeah. of times it doesn't happen, right? Because a lot of right. times we are attracted to the same level of chaos that we're putting exactly. out. So I was really yeah. blessed to, to land with someone that did up-level you know, my nervous system at the time. And that was sort of the first step out. But I was still a hot mess in the most yeah. lovable and amazing way, um, but emotionally for sure. And, um, but I still lost your other question. I yeah, know okay, we're getting so there. the other question, we are getting there. You heard my psychic facts or my telepathic, you know, hey, the question. So my question to you was, what did like sort of the journey Like how you got into the healing work, what you thought it was supposed to be looking like, and then kind of like maybe the debacles that you experienced as a result of it, but kind of like that process of of kind of recognizing, wait a second, this may not be working. But So I went into psychology. I was not a clinical psychologist. I had no, um, I had always, I worked with kids uh, with disabilities. I was a big sister. I did all sorts of mentoring. So yeah, I always always had that call to serve, um, but I didn't come from a family where being a teacher or being a counselor would have been super respected. So, and at this point, you know, I was 20 something, I was still drinking their Kool-Aid. And so I actually pursued a doctorate in research psychology. I was studying reasoning and memory and neuropsychology because I was really interested in those big, now that I understand their philosophical questions, like what's consciousness? And unfortunately, um, at that period of time, there was no spirit kinds of understandings in, in the psychology that I was doing. It was very, very research oriented. And, and it was really ask, asking the kinds of questions that you could answer in a lab, which became very tedious questions. Mm. And um, so when I got to the end of that journey, um, I was the end of the journey, meaning I got my doctorate. I started my postdoc and I was like, I, I don't think I love this anymore. And I was already married, so I took some time off to have my children. And I mean, I think that the way the rescuer showed up in my life was in you know all my relationships, particularly my relationships with my family members, and and my family of origin members. But anyway, so um, and now I was a mom, so I had to kind of rethink that whole relationship. And I realized pretty quickly on I was not the kind of mom I wanted to be. Mm. I was not the kind of mom I wanted to be. I didn't like how I showed up for my kids. I didn't. I was. I was too emotionally dysregulated and God, you know, anyone who has kids know you, you love them so much. All you want to do is, is get it right. And then my kids were struggling. Um, my little one had some learning disabilities and my daughter was probably struggling too. I probably didn't realize it at the time because I was so dysregulated, but I just knew that there was something more and I knew I needed to be doing it. And I also knew because I had left this very high, I went to Princeton and I did my postdoc at Columbia. So I left this very high powered career to be a stay at home mom. And so I also just kept thinking there's something I'm supposed to be doing here. I just don't know what it is. And everything for me kind of came together in the quest uh, to help my kids and to help myself. I had found a really out of the box pediatrician in New York City who 
you know, believed in all these weird energy modalities and psychic people and medical intuitives of which that was completely like not in my wheelhouse at all. And it was through going to these people and starting to learn and understand this whole other world existed that I found my purpose and calling. And, you know, it's been a journey ever since. So I, by the time I went back and got my master's in counseling, my intuition had already opened up. I was following the the call of my intuition and I knew I needed to learn boundaries and I knew I needed to learn the sort of, you know, how to of being a helper. And I fortunately found my way again into a really good program that was really, because they're not all, but it was really balanced and did teach me boundaries and did teach me all about helping. And that was the first step and counseling, um, at least the way it was explained to me when I walked into the office of the chair of the department at Fairfield University, because it was eight minutes from my house and I had two small kids and I was just trying to make it all work. She said, well, counseling, you know, we are based on a wellness model, not a medical model. And what that means is we believe everyone inherently has everything they need within them to heal and thrive. And it is our job as counselors to support them. And no words ever resonated with me as strongly as those. I mean, and in our society, what a radical statement. Yep. What a ra- and And how many years ago are we talking now? Like this is... At least a decade, I'm imagining. At least a decade, yeah. At least Early, a decade, yeah. Yeah, mid, mid uh, two th- I think I started my program in 2008. But yeah, yeah. but counseling's been around for a while. It is the new kid on the block in terms of, you know, mental health licensee kinds of things. But it's it's been around for a while. But that's, you know, once she said that, I was hooked. I was like, yeah. you know, not going to go back and we specialize as a clinical psychologist, not going to be a marriage and family therapist. I found my home. Not that there's anything wrong. If you're any of those things, if you're a social worker, I love you all. We all get, we all, we can all get the job done. Those words just were so potent and powerful. And I think it's really true. We all have everything that we need within us and anyone that is helping us or supporting us, because that's the word I was always taught to use in that outside world is always, first of all, reflection of our own inner resources. You've called them in, you have called them in and they're helping you do you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And anyone who gives you any other message is taking your power away or trying to take your power away and don't let them. Mm-hmm. So you said like, so I'd love to talk about like, what, what was the personal revelation or the point of recognizing the places where you were engaging and trying to fix, trying to rescue, trying to like deal with it. And like, what was that like to sort of notice it within yourself and then to change it? Does that make sense? It's a great question. Yeah, it does make perfect sense. There was not one pivotal moment. There was not one pivotal moment. There were a lot of moments, Mm -hmm. a lot of moments, learning to set boundaries with my kids because I didn't know how to do that. I had a parent that was very critical and you know, and so I didn't want them to feel anything terrible ever. Right. So I had to learn, Oh, you know, first of all, my kids were different than me, especially one of them. So I needed to understand that how that child needed to be parented was different than I needed to be parented, but also that reacting, you know, didn't doing the opposite of how I was parented was not necessarily the magic, the magic formula. So some of it came from that parenting journey and really understanding the boundaries and really understanding where that role of parenting, you know, with your kids, you know, everybody always says, I just want my kids to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want them to be happy and healthy. I have news for you. Those are two things that you really don't control, right? And you can, you can contribute to them. There are things that we can do to help our children find their happy. And there are certainly things we can do to not help our children find their happy. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of parents. I, I can help you with that and find those things. And one of the things I will give you a little freebie right now that can help your kids find their happy is you find yours first and you yes. show them, you yes. show them how it is to live happy and, and you make that a priority and a goal for you and they will catch on. But you, you know, and of course you can take care of them. You can feed them well. You can make sure they get enough sleep. You know, there's a lot you can do, but you don't control another person's journey, not even your children. And the best gift that you can give to your kids is to love them unconditionally, of course, and then also respect the integrity of their journey, meaning whatever they're here to do, 
may or may not line up with what you thought your ideal kid was supposed to do. (laughs) You know, they're not an extension of you, but you respect the integrity of their journey. You respect them as souls. And then you keep asking yourself and, and your higher guidance is usually the best place to get this answer from. How do I support them? What's my role here? What do I do? And sometimes the answer is very different than what you've been taught, what your mind thinks. And so that was the first clue for me because I learned A, that I had to ask that question. And then B, when I asked that question again and again, I would get some surprising answers that didn't always line up with everything that I've been taught. Like maybe this child, you know, just isn't ready to be happy. Okay. (laughs) It's not my job. How do I support them now with that? Well, and I've seen so often, like when you're fighting against a child's emotions, like that, like when a kid is in a bad mood and you're trying to fix it so frequently, the kid will just double down on the bad mood. Whereas if you're just like, wow, sucks to be you kid. So sorry. You're having a hard time. You go work your stuff out. Talk to me. I'll I'll check in with you later. There's so much less likely to like, like to, to stick with it. I've got a, a, a sort of a sideways question that is just like, the, you know, my guides are like, ask her this question now. So right now, you know, I mean, there's all of the buzz about, you know, the narcissist and the empath. And if you're working with a lot of highly sensitive people, I'm imagining that you have had a number of clients who are the empaths who married a narcissist. One of the things that I see very frequently around child rearing in particular is the power struggle between the empathic parent, usually the mom, and the narcissistic dad who has a very, very different agenda. And I'm wondering, what advice do you have for parents where they are in a divided family where, you know, there is a either the mother and father are still married, but at cross purposes or where they are separated and there's even legal restrictions in terms of custody. And like, for example, I have a dear friend who's going through a situation where it is very clear by her guidance, by her situation, that her kids need to be in a different school system than where they're at. They're very stressed out and starting to show signs of acting out and other warning signs that things could get really bad. But the father is very invested in keeping the kids in the school system because that way he wins. So I'm wondering, as we're talking about this, like when there's that third person or that, you know, added into the equation, what advice do you have for the empath moms or empath dads who are dealing with it more like controlling narcissistic X usually? Amazing, amazing question. It's something I've dealt with so many times in my work. Number one, respect the integrity of your kid's journey. When they came into their beautiful little bodies, they had a pretty good idea of who their parents were going to be and how their parents were going to play with each other and with them. Okay. And so as hard as it is, you have to understand that they knew what they were getting themselves into and you can never control another person, which means, you know, and you can't control everything. One of the, I'm going to just step off for a second and then we'll come back to this. So make sure I do. But one of the things I learned early on with my daughter, with my daughter, when she was born, there was a little bit of a, a glitch. I ran a fever during labor from the epidural, but they didn't know it was the epidural and they thought it was, you know, could be sepsis. So they put us both in antibiotics, put her in the NICU And I knew nothing was wrong. And it was kind of clear nothing was really wrong. And after three days in the hospital, when we were supposed to be discharged, another doctor came in and said, no, we're keeping her. I changed my mind. And it would have meant I couldn't breastfeed. I mean, it was just, it was awful. But in Mm. that moment, I had to understand that there were things beyond my control that were going to impact this child. Yes. And by the way, happy ending, you know, called my new pediatrician who I didn't even know. And as he said, he got her sprung. But um, but it was a pivotal moment where I recognized I'm not going to be able to, and it was it was hard. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to control everything about this kid's life, right? And we all have our own karma. So I don't know, you know, I can be in charge of what I do. I can look at a situation, tune into my guidance, say what's the best course of action here, but it's not my job to control everything that happens to and for, you know, because it's really for my mm-hmm. kids. It's mm-hmm. my job again to show up and say, okay, how do I serve? That's number one. Number two, in this situation, mom and dad got a dynamic. 
Yes. And so chances are whenever, if I believe, right, that I can't do X because this narcissistic guy is always getting my way, if I'm giving away my power to that situation rather than saying, gosh, this is frustrating, but this is this is the situation I'm in. How do I tune into my own higher guidance and navigate what is because I can't change that right now and I can't change him right now. And I got to find my power, even though, and it's real hard to find your power when you're dealing with a narcissist, but you can, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the challenge and that's the growth. So for that person to come back and say, what can I do? Where can I find my power here? And usually, you know, in that circumstance, sometimes when you're dealing with someone with that kind, and I don't like to generalize because I often find nowadays in every breakup, the other guy's the narcissist. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, he was such a narcissist. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it is also a real thing. But in someone who has those kind of tendencies, right, you know, they're not going to be compassionate. They don't have a lot of empathy. Mm-mm. You know, they, they they don't understand things that an, an empathic person probably thinks is fundamental, right? They They may not have that do good chip that we all have, you know, not because they're terrible. I mean, they may behave terribly, but just because they're wired differently and they're here on earth to do a different thing. And so, you know, Sometimes we have to just let it be if we if we really can't control sometimes we got to go in the back door you know there are ways to uh to talk to a narcissist and it's manipulative but there are ways to sometimes get our way sometimes your intuition will show you that and sometimes it's about what I call putting down the rope because and this is really important in any kind of divorce situation because oftentimes your children are the rope and you're holding one side of the rope And the spouse that you're not getting along with is holding the other side of the rope and your poor children are being pulled back and forth and pulled upon in the tug of war. And so I tell the parents in this case, whoever has the higher level of awareness, put down the rope, Mm -hmm. put down the rope, put your hands up in the air. It may mean that you lose quote unquote, the battle with your spouse, right? But let them win because your kids can't be the rope. And sometimes when we put down the rope, the other person gets, they're not going to tug back anymore because you're not pulling anymore. And so when we put down the rope and sometimes, you know, the rope is not your kids, it's something else, but usually it's your kids, but whatever, when you put down the rope with another person, you stop tugging, right? Or let's, you have a cat behind you, but say you have a dog, right? You ever play down at my feet, right? You play tug with the dog. It's the same thing. When you stop tugging back, they drop the toy and they go lie down. Yes, exactly. So could we talk about really, like, could we, could you give me an example of what does it look so like in this particular situation, let's just workshop this situation. Absolutely. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's common. Yeah. It's common. So we've got, and, and it's, I will say from having watched this process, this is truly a classic clinical NPD, like narcissistic personality oh, disorder. I believe yeah. And sense and highly sensitive empath. Like this is one of those places where I'm just like, oh no, he didn't. Like you've got to be kidding me. Oh yeah. I, and but, I've done this. I've done yeah. I've I've negotiated this with a lot of families. I've been the person who has listened to the journey and the struggle. And the struggle is definitely real. We've got a kid who's in a school system that is not working with their personality. The father is in the uh, tough enough, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You just need to develop a tougher skin. You you know, life is hard. You're going to have to learn the lesson anyway. The kid is not doing well. They're, They're floundering. They're struggling. They're spinning out. They're developing OCD. They're developing massive anxiety disorder. Like there's all kinds of warning signs. And the father is not seeing this and what, but like I said, is very invested in keeping the kid in a school system that is causing the child harm because they don't want the mother to win. Mm-hmm. The mother would just really love to get the kid in a better school system. Um, we don't have their permission for me to feel into the exact story, but I almost can't help myself. So I'm just... like, this is member of my soul family. And I'm kind of like, okay. I'm, ju- I'm like, I just, I'm tuning in. Like I'm tuning in. Yeah. I'm tuning in. Yeah. Okay. I just want to model that for people. Cause I Absolutely. want people to understand Consent. we don't just do that. No, we do not just ping people. This is, and this is very rare, but this is one yeah. of the few people yeah. where I basically have permission to give support. Beautifulness. When, yeah. Beautifulness. Yeah. So we all know about the law of attraction, right? When we focus on a problem and we put all our energy energy there, we grow the problem. And again, it feels like a sticky knot and my hands are, and her hands are caught in the knot and the kids are the knot. And so sometimes what you have to do is take the step back and you have to say, okay, this is what is going on now. 
This is what is going on now. And I'm going to take my energy out of the problem and start streaming my energy towards solutions. What can I do to make it easier for my daughter since I can't get her out of the school right now? What can I do to let down this story that this, even if the story is true that, you know, this dad is a terrible narcissist and he'll never let me help our child. And, you know, because that is actually contributing a lot to this kid's anxiety and the dynamic is contributing a lot to this kid's anxiety and the nature of the divorce is uh, contributing a lot to this kid's anxiety. And remember too, and I'm not going to read this child because she doesn't want me to, but um, she's none of our business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not going there, but I will say right. in general, this is not about that particular body. Right. This is in general, you know, again, no one finds themselves in these situations. Anything that's happening in your life right now, you, your higher self has agreed to it. Mm-hmm. It can't happen if a part of you didn't agree to it. And I you know that's really confusing. And I know there are times when, we, you know, we want to curse our higher selves, you know, and our lower selves. And <laughs> why did I do, you know, it, you haven't done anything wrong. You're beautiful. You're doing the very best you can from your level of awareness. And I love you. And I love you so much. And I hope that you can find some of that love for yourself. But a part of you agreed to this mm-hmm. always. And when we can see that in another person, say a part of her agreed to this, there's something in it for her. It looks really ugly now. It looks really terrible now, but there's something in it for her that will help, you know, y'all take a, a breath, a breather. And then as the parent, you step back and you say, okay, where am I engaged in this story? Where am I sending my energy that is perpetuating what's going on now? You can't control another person. That is a fundamental rule of life, but you can pull your energy out, you know, which can affect change in another person. It absolutely can. When we change internally, when we do our own work, when we pull our energy out of stories about how other people have to respond, about who they are, when we make peace with them just being who they are, oddly enough, sometimes they shift or at least they shift with respect to us. And so that's the work that she's being called to do right now. It's just a little hard to do because she... She's really afraid and upset and and she's still processing some real difficult stuff that happened to her, which is the third piece that's coming up. And I think this is helpful for a lot of people as well. You know, when we go through a divorce situation, um, but really anytime when we're feeling, and I'm sure you've talked about this before on the show, whenever we're feeling into the feels of somebody else, there's usually a hook within us. Yes. Yes, right. Yes. So there's something in you, something in us that resonates. Resonating. You gotta <laughs> and, have, you gotta have the seed of the frequency inside right. of you for it to affect you. Right. Yes. And so most likely, again, I'm not going to read this person right now, but most likely, you know, just people who often find themselves in these situations, there's probably something in her childhood that attracted this situation to begin with. Not always, sometimes we choose these kind of relationships in adulthood, even on a solid foundation of a childhood, because we want to learn from it later on. So it's not always that, but usually there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this case in particular, the feelings that she still has about being bullied and victimized by the father, you know, now she is seeing this with her child and the child is an extension of her. And so the more she tends to how she feels and gets empowered, the easier it will be for her to support her child and help her child be empowered. And look, I've worked with situations when there was real, you know, abuse and the problem with abuse, and this is me putting on my counselor hat a little bit, but I still get to be intuitive because I do both things at once. Yeah. But where, you know, it's very, very hard to, with when custody and stuff like that, they're very, abuse has to be like physical. There has to be marks. There has to be abuses. There has bruises. There has to be substance abuse to the, you know, effect that it is really, really, really significant. Mm-hmm. And it has to be to, documentable. Yeah. Usually, at least in the States where I've practiced, it is very, very, very difficult not for a biological parent to regain custody. And mm-hmm. so I have seen situations where the kids go to dad's house or they go to mom's house and mom and dad are emotionally unstable, abusive, narcissistic, whatever. And it's just, you know, it's very hard to see and very hard to watch, but you can parent your kid through it and you can be the one that's the support, right? Where maybe the other parent isn't there yet. And so, you know, that's, and so that is, that is an aspect as well. You know, it can happen. And again, the question you always want to ask yourself is what can I do rather than what I, you know, what can't I do? You know, how do I solve this? How do I fix this thing that's out of my control? Don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. Right. But what can you do? How can I deal with what's happening now? When you start to answer that question, that's where you start to find the inroads. That's where you, that's where the solution starts to appear. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, and I love how you are saying, you know, just really focusing on the question, like pivoting the question, not thinking of what can't I do and how can I break, you know, how can I break them out of jail? But really, what can I do? What right. is my job? What is the ability? And I, I really appreciate you acknowledging how hard it can be to witness the struggle and to witness the suffering and to behold it. And especially because I think there are so many people who really do believe that if they just figured out that one extra thing, they could prevent the tragedy from happening. Oh. Like we live in a culture that, you know, like if I only had donated that extra dollar to that political campaign, if I had only made that <laughs> extra phone call, if only I had gone and gotten that other person to the polls, if only I had, you know, called that person before they committed suicide that night. Like there are so many ways that I think we think we second guess ourselves, but we imagine that we could, if we had just doubled down a little bit more, we could have changed the outcome. And I'm not convinced that's always true, but I absolutely can feel that desperation that so many of us absolutely. go through. And many yeah. of us have taught that we are responsible for everything. So we're always right. trying to figure out right. what could I have done differently to save the calamity that you didn't cause, you didn't cause. And because we are actually not omniscient when we're in human form and we are not supposed to be, you know, you have already agreed to live your life with a blindfold on, you know, and occasionally there's little peaky holes and occasionally you get some clues, but you're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss stuff. And when you do, it's fine. Sometimes, you know, hindsight is 2020. That's for real, except it's not because when you're looking back, you are looking back through a very different lens than you were looking on at the moment, right? Where you couldn't see those things because you, you weren't where you are now. And that hindsight is not always helpful for the future either, right? Because I could look back and say, well, I was parented one way. So I know I have to do the exact opposite when I parent my kids. Well, that didn't turn out to be true, right? That turned out to be a reaction to, you know, what I felt went wrong in the past. Mm -hmm. So we always have to take those little past things under consideration. You can think like next time I am going to think about this and maybe I will consider something I didn't consider the last time. But not as a reaction to the past, not as because every moment is a new. And again, when we're tuning into our intuition, when we're learning to flow from that higher guidance, when we're learning to really be in the now and ask ourselves, okay, what's the next right step in this moment for me now? You know, we don't even have to worry about what came before. We'll, we'll, we'll always get the right answer. And it's a lot more effortless and beautiful and smooth than we go through our fear-based, scarcity-based overly conditioned minds, which will always tell us what we're wrong, what how we're wrong, what we did wrong, what is wrong, what we should be afraid of, what there's not enough of. I love having a mind. It helps me be sane and stuff and connect with this world, but I am learning to use it now as a tool in service of my inner divinity rather than being used by it as most of us have been trained. Uh, yes. Yes. I've been getting such a clear sense of like, anytime I try to run my life by my mind, it, it's yeah. just, I get so discombobulated, disoriented and spin out. It's like live from the heart, let the mind be a tool, not the yeah. opposite. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't have to look back. And, and I tell people too, and I want to tell you with respect to that beautiful, because it's such a beautiful point that so many people do beat themselves up. Yeah anything that happened in the past and any, and, and a lot of, you know, I think a lot of times we over-responsibilize. So we're taking responsibility for things that weren't ours anyway, mm -hmm. or we're looking only at one outcome, right? So it's sort of like, well, I went right. And when I went right, these, these things happened. And so I should have went left or gone yes. left, but yes. we don't actually yes. know what would have happened if you went left. <laughs> you know, right? I had, we don't, I we don't had... really know. We only know what's wrong with, with, going right. Focus on what's right about the path that you chose, yeah. because that's how you're going to make the most of it and get where you need to go, you know, because you don't, you have no idea what going left would have done for you. And, and most likely it would have been a wash. I exactly. I've done timeline work with people where we've run the timeline in the opposite direction of like the pivot. And it's so amazing how you end up in the same place. Like, regardless of which way you chose, you end up in the same direction. Victoria, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has gone by. Like this really has been one of those, like, oh my God, this is whizzed by. And I could absolutely just continue to talk. I could ask you, I have so many more questions for you. I'm just like, and I'm so excited that we had this conversation 
really addressing and talking about the dynamic between parents and kids, because this feels like I know, I know how many people struggle with this. And we're right at the, we're just getting right there to the, the top of the hour. So what else just feels like you really want to be sure that this meant you share this message with my audience, with, with, with the audience, with people listening? It, what comes through when I tune in, it's, is that you are lovable, you know, whatever, just that you are lovable and that when you know that, even when you don't know that, but when you don't know that, and you can remind yourself of that, when you can even listen to the hint that it might be true. I mean, that's what everything flows from. And whatever mistakes you think you made, whatever is going on in your world, wherever you're struggling, if you can just come back to that knowing, and even if you can't just play this little bit of the podcast again and again and again and again, that's what I would do. Um, (laughs) Just know that you're lovable, you're beautiful, you're inspiring, you're magical. And like we said before, you all have everything within you you need to thrive and um, thrive exactly where you are now, whatever's going on in that outside world. You know, and you are a rock star, even if you don't recognize it yet. Mm, mm, mm. So I always love to end with this question, which is if you could go, I, because I believe that this podcast is like a piece of fabric in the timeline and that we can fold it on itself and rebroadcast, send broadcasts forward into the future, but also into the past. And so what I believe we are doing right now is we're going to go back in time and you get to like, look right in the eyes of little Victoria or little Vicky. I don't know if that's what she is. You got it. Good. Little Vicky and just let little Vicky know what she needs to hear. So if knowing that you are back, you are sending a mess, like not just sending a message, you are giving a message to little Vicky that we've, we've gone back in time and we are broadcasting this message to her. I love that. Well, I think I kind of already she gave her that yeah. <laughs> a few minutes ago. Yeah. So I'll make sure, I'll make sure little Vicky, listen to what, you know, Victoria just said. Um, yeah, I just want to give her a big old hug and let her know that, you know, she's perfect. She's perfect. You did everything exactly as you were supposed to. And also, I think a lot of our little inner children need to know we're good, we're lovable, and um, and you got it right. You got it right. Got and, right. um, you know, everything that you dreamed of, you know, even things that you dreamed of, but you didn't know you were dreaming of them, <laughs> you know, they're all coming true. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to let her know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Victoria, thank you so much for this rich, delicious, and soul-nourishing conversation. This has just been so, so, so good. So before I let you go, how do people get in touch with you? Okay. Thank you so much for that. And this has been amazing. And I know it's not going to be the last conversation. I know it's not going to be. Because yeah. we just have so much fun together. We do. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah. But yes, people can find me. My website is the easiest place to find me, victoriashawintuitive.com. And that's where you can find out about my online classes, my live classes, my online hybrid class. I don't even know. Uh, and how to work with me, which is a thing that you can do. I also have a podcast, Intuitive Connection. So check that out. And we have an interview together there too. We do. I know, which was also amazeballs. And um, so you'll have to check that one out too. So Intuitive Connection is the podcast available on all the platforms. What else? And I also, can I talk about really quickly about my new venture, which is really Absolutely, absolutely. Also here in in San Diego have just launched. It'll, It'll be launched by the time this goes live, Cactus Blossom Retreat, which is my new retreat center in Escondido, California, which is just outside of San Diego. It is magical. It is beautiful. And we are helping people awaken their magic. And it's a beautiful property. We have, um, it's a property to rent, but we also have really great programming. I'm teaching there. Maybe someday you'll teach there. And um, and we put together individualized retreats, which is, I just started to do, and it is so much fun. So that is the other thing that's going on in my world. And the website for that is cactusblossomretreat.com. Oh. Oh, that just sounds so amazing. And then also books. You've got the four books. books so you guys, yeah. 
All of this you will be able to find in the show notes. So if you come on over to empathicmasteryshow.com, you can grab all this information. You can get links to Victoria's books. You can check out her website. You can check out her podcast and you can check out this amazing, amazing retreat center in a wonderful, wonderful part of California. Yeah, Victoria, this conversation truly has been like so delicious. I, I just, I feel nourished. Likewise. Uh, and I feel recalibrated. I really do feel recalibrated. And actually, that was the one other thing that you and I really talked about that I, I'm just thinking before I let you go, I just want to reiterate is we talked before we jumped on about how empaths can get so sucked into focusing on the negativity that they don't tune into the channel of joy. And yeah. that was something that you were saying that just, I think is just bears repeating. Yeah. Go Go ahead. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm, and we talked about this before. I've really been getting the message more and more. And I don't think I'm alone in this that really empaths, you know, we feel into the feels of the planet. We really, we really hold that energy. We can really hold that vibration. And so more and more as the planet is moving to a higher quote unquote level, as we are moving into the new age, really more and more what the empath is called to do is to anchor into those higher vibrations, to experience more joy, more love, more expansion, you know, more magic so that we can hold that vibration for the planet as we move into the new age. So, you know, if you're not finding yourself there right now, that is okay, but you have that potential and that is really your birthright and what you're here to do. So, um, I, I invite you to, to, um, to, to take on that mission. And if you're already doing it, thank you. And if you're doing it just some of the time, like most of us, thank you too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, so, so good. And I agree. I think a lot of us are getting this transmission right now. A lot of us are being guided to tune into the joy, not into the sorrow. Victoria, I could say thank you a million times. It has been such a pleasure to have you here today. Likewise. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Mm Mm-hmm. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.